We are again thankful to uh, to be able to assemble, to worship our great God, to serve Him, to honor His name, to remind ourselves of uh, of His Word, of the Scriptures that He has given to us to uh, keep us going, to keep us strong, to keep us healthy uh, in the Lord, spiritually speaking, and uh, to bless us, to prepare us for the the next journey, which is the real one, right? The real one, the one that we're all looking forward to. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love and for your mercy. We praise you, we love you, and we we honor your name, Lord God. Hallowed be your great, uh, sanctified, and amazing name. Help us, please, this evening to focus our minds on worship, the worship of you, our Creator, to worship you in such a way that brings glory and honor to your name that will never forget Jesus, your great Son, who lived and died for us. We ask, Lord God, that you will continue to prick our hearts through your word, to keep us balanced, and help us, Lord God, continually to recognize the great need that we have for you in everything. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Be thy will. Amen. We're going to Exodus as a review scripture, chapter 31 this evening. We're going to continue um, on the Sabbath. We have uh, one more lesson after this because there's more that I want to bring out about the Sabbath. And it's so critical, I think, that we understand things about the Sabbath, because we're asked that question often in the streets. When we're talking to people, um, they're asked about our Sabbath, or if we're Sabbath keepers, or Sabbatarians, or whatever else you can think of or imagine. And so um, I want just quickly to remind you in Exodus 31, verses 13 through 17, of what the Bible says about the Sabbath being given to the Jews and to the Jews alone. But as for you, verse 13, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Every one who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from his labor and was refreshed. All right, so the Sabbath day for the Israelites and the Israelites only, remember that word forever, a perpetual covenant as long as it lasts, right? Now, we're going into something else. Leviticus, please, uh, chapter 23. There were many other Sabbaths that the Israelites were to keep The seventh day is always, if you will, the Sabbath day. But there were other Sabbaths in connection with the five festive feasts that the Israelites also followed. And so the days of the month, and remember this is important, especially for us. The days of the month change every year. And so for our calendar, and so one might say, well, in order to keep the Sabbath, guess what you have to do? In order to keep Israel's Sabbath, you literally have to keep an old old Jewish calendar at hand and live by that calendar, which would make you off in everything else in the world. You can't, you just can't do it. 
Okay, um, remember they were a nation, an independent nation, and so they had their own laws and own rules in which they were governed by. So the days of the of the week and the month change every year. Now let's look at some of these additional days, uh, how the confusion really would come in in keeping a regular uh, calendar or another calendar or a different calendar. But even in addition to that, even if we had Israel's calendar today, we still would not be able to keep the Sabbath because of the Bible. But let me show you other reasons why. Leviticus 23 in verse 23. The Bible says, And again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month on the first of the month you shall have a rest, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. So the first thing is that it says the first on the seventh on the first of the month. So the first of the month of the seventh month doesn't always come on Saturday. <laughs> so this year it's on Saturday, but next year it might be on Sunday. And then the next year it's going to be on Monday. And then the following, right? You, you got to understand what, what God is saying to Israel, if you will, in this day, as opposed to what God is telling today's Israel. We don't keep the Sabbath. Let's continue. Verse 31. Verse 31 says, you shall, do, you shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls. On the ninth of the month at evening, from evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Now, I know some folks that... um that still practice the Sabbath today. And uh, I guarantee you, as I have spoken to each one of them, none of them keep the Sabbath the way that God told Israel to do it. Right? They have a modified Sabbath. You can't modify the Sabbath, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, as I, as I talk to them, I, I ask very critical questions of them about the Sabbath day and how they reconcile the calendar today, our calendar that they live by, that they work by, and then the calendar the Jews had, and how they're able to even keep a Sabbath day. The confusion is incredible. And yet, so the answer is, they justify their living. And you can't modify, you can't justify what God has set in order. Now, over in verse 33, listen to what it says. Again, the Lord spoke to the son, to, Mo, to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the 15th of this seventh month is a Feast of booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as a holy convocation to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices and libations each day's matter on its own day. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord and besides your gifts and besides all your votive and free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. 
on exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in your crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Do your math, and we don't have Saturdays and Saturdays anymore, right? Okay. The other thing is, what, what the, the scapegoat is, well, we don't, we don't follow the ceremonial practices with the Sabbath. But what we just now read, there are sacrifices given and made on the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, you have to follow it the way the Lord told you to follow it. And if you're not following the way God told you to follow it, it is a modified Sabbath. And if it is a modified Sabbath, it is unscriptural, right? It is unscriptural. And by the way, we're not Israelites anyway, right? Remember that from last week. Now, over to Leviticus 25. Leviticus chapter 25. The Hebrews observe 59 Sabbaths. Only 52 weeks in a year. But they celebrated 59 Sabbaths, not including what we're going to get to, the sabbatical year. So, 59 Sabbaths, and I want to look at every seventh year, which was a sabbatical year, in verses 1 uh, through verse 4 of Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crops. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So here's what's important. The whole year was a Sabbath. Monday was a Sabbath. Saturday, you know, Every day of the year was a Sabbath because it was a Sabbath rest. For the land. Now, we're getting away from just Saturday, aren't we? You see, God's point, God's point is deeper than just Saturday. God had a reason and a purpose for everything he instructed Israel to do. Back to Exodus chapter 23. The sabbatical year. But why a sabbatical year? Right? It's a great question. Verse 10. Exodus 23 and verse 10. And you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyards and your olive groves. So God's point was, I want you to feed the poor. You know anyone doing that? You know any folks today that say, well, we're Sabbatarians and they're practicing something like this? Absolutely not. And the reason is because, again, the Sabbath is not giving to us. In fact, we're not even agriculturalists. But now go to the farmers, if you will, down in Texas or somewhere in the States or somewhere in the world that are trying to practice the Sabbath and ask, okay, here's your business. Do you let the land lay fallow for the sabbatical year and give all the produce to the poor? No. No. No, they don't, they don't do that. Israel, it's a lesson of faith, you see? Because if you're sowing your seed for six years, and then on the seventh year, you do nothing to it. Who are you trusting? Right? But you're supposed to be trusting in the same God the other six years as well. 
But here's the lesson. The lesson is, in the seventh year, if you let the ground lay fallow as God commanded, God said, I will bless it, and it's going to produce more crops and more blessings for the next three years. Right? You just have to listen and obey God. God was teaching them a lesson of faith and taking care of the poor. Leviticus, please, chapter 25 and verse 20. Leviticus 25 and verse 20. A lesson of faith. The Bible says in verse 20. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Then I will so order my blessings for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat of old things from the crop eating the old until the ninth year when his crop comes in. I mean, you talk about the blessings of the Lord, right? God says, like, don't worry about this. You, Oh, you thought being agriculturalist that you were providing and taking care of the land? God says, oh, you forgot. I'm the one that's taking care of the land, right? That's why when you read Malachi uh, chapter 1, when God says, I'm going to sin, or chapter 3 rather, he says, I'm going to send a devourer of the land if you're, because you're holding your, you're holding back. You're not giving like you're supposed to. That's how God cursed the agriculturalists. But we're not agriculturalists and so we would not, uh, even relate to this particular type of living or lifestyle. Deuteronomy please, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, 15 rather. And so these folks were agriculturalists. These were Israelites of, of one nation and they were serving God in a certain way with their own laws and commandments and God told them to let everything lay fallow let the lie the land rather lay uh, uncultivated during these times and also here's another biggie this is in connection with the jubilee and in the jubilee he says now I'm not telling you just to let your land lay fallow in the seventh year but I got something else I need you to do I want you to let release all your debts Anyone that owes you anything, let it go. Look, if you will, Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully All this commandment which I am commanding you today. And keep in mind as you're reading this over and over again, you keep hearing you. He's not talking about us. He's talking about the Israelites, right? The Israelites. Leviticus, please. Chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. The, so the, the 15th, the 50th year was, um, was also a type of sabbatical year as well that Israel was supposed to follow uh, in their service to the Lord. Seven times seven, you had those 49, and then that one made the 50th, and then you have your, your year of jubilee. Verse 8, Leviticus 25, 
you are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years. Namely, 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall uh, sound a horn all throughout your land. And you shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to your own property and each of you shall return to his own family. You shall have 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its uh, entrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat of its crops out of the field. On this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. So imagine that, right? Here's a debt, and the debt's been released, and and so everybody gets to go home, and all the things you've sold, you get, uh, you've, you've sold, you get back. We don't follow that, right? Only the nation could follow that, because the nation was subject to God in a way that a nation is that belongs to God, right? Second Chronicles chapter 31. Second Chronicles chapter 31. The Sabbath year, uh, if you will, was celebrated in conjunction uh, with sacrifices. But also, the Sabbath itself was celebrated with sacrifices. And I want to show you a very important verse in Second Chronicles 31, verses 2 and verse 3. Listen to what it says about the sacrifices that are for the Sabbath. Verse 2, And Hezekiah appointed the division of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to his service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and for peace offerings to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. He also appointed the king's portions of his goods for burnt offerings, namely for morning and evening burnt offerings and burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and for the fixed festivals as it is written in the law of the Lord. And so when someone says that the Sabbath day and the, and the ceremonies do not join together, well, when you go back and read the Bible, they are linked completely together. So you can't separate those out either. So that means if we were trying to keep the Sabbath, we would also have to offer sacrifices that is not required of us today. See, there's no way, no argument that one can use to justify keeping the Sabbath day in any way, shape, or form. And this is all in the Old Testament where the Sabbath has come out. From the very uh, law of Moses, not the patriarchs, but the law of Moses for all of God's people in that day and in that time and during that dispensation. But now, please turn to Colossians. We serve Jesus. We... Christians serve the Lord and we follow the laws and commandments of our God. And our God has some things to say regarding the Sabbath. Right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, 
and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so the Sabbath, along with other things that are mentioned, is a shadow. The old law is a shadow. The whole picture is a shadow of the Christ, a shadow of what we're supposed to follow and how we're supposed to live our lives in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, turn to Hebrews 8. Jesus brought better sacrifices, if you will. A better sacrifice, uh, a better commandment, a better law, a better covenant, a better everything for his people in the New Testament dispensation. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot grab a little bit out of the Old Testament and a little bit out of the New Testament and then fuse them together and say, this is now my law. You can't do that, right? You, you, you You can't pick and choose. And this is what people do who try to follow the Old Testament. And, and when you, wherever you go, it's amazing. You'll find that when you're talking to people and you start talking about the Sabbath, uh, how many people say, yeah, you know, I, I need to do a better job of keeping the Sabbath. And you go, but we don't, we don't follow. And, and saying we don't follow the Sabbath today probably isn't always enough. But to be able to give them a little bit, a bit of depth to help them to understand more clearly and accurately why we don't follow the Sabbath will give you an opportunity for another Bible class with them because they become interested. It piques their interest, um, this topic that we are discussing now. Verse 6, please, of Hebrews chapter 8. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if that covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. But finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now the question is, if he brought a new covenant, then what does that do to the old covenant? Right? It, it, it takes it away. But some folks want to hold on to the old, you know, bits and pieces of the old covenant, and then bits and pieces of the new covenant, you know. It's like if we were allowed to pick and choose, which which things would you take out of the New Testament? Forgiveness, mercy. I mean, I don't know, what would we take out, right? Definitely in the Old Testament, get rid of the release of debts, right? Get rid of that one, unless it, unless it pertains to me, right? Picking and choosing is not what God has asked us to do. Hebrews chapter 10, please, in verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That an old covenant, the old covenant, Second Corinthians chapter 3, please. The old covenant is not, is not to be followed for uh, sacrifices, if you will, and for the forgiveness of sins is only found in Christ Jesus our Lord and no other. Second Corinthians 3 verse 5. The Bible says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives 
life. And so God is letting us know clearly, clearly, the Old Testament, you try to follow the Old Testament, you're going to die lost. You're going to die lost. Because God's plan for Israel, though they were supposed to keep the law perfectly, remember, God's plan was that their sins would roll forward until the Christ would come. And the Christ who died on the cross, his blood that was shed went all the way back to the first man, Adam, that lived on the earth and goes all the way forward to the last man that lives on the earth. Now, if today you try to go back and live by the Old Testament, you're trying to do it without Jesus. And our adequacy does not come from ourselves. And when you try and live your life perfectly without Jesus, you'll find that you're not going to be saved. It's an absolute impossibility because everyone has sinned. And all of us need the blood of Jesus Not the blood of bulls and goats to save us. Look at Hebrews 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Let's begin to count, to wrap this portion of, uh, this lesson up. Jesus, the high priest. If you go back to the Old Testament and you grab and you begin to pick and choose, you gotta realize too that Jesus Christ cannot be a high priest under that old law. And if Jesus Christ is not your high priest, then salvation is an absolute impossibility for anyone. Verse 11, Hebrews 7. Now a perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law. What further need was there for any for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, There takes place a change in law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, not on the basis of law, of the physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In other words, what God is saying is that Moses in the law never says a man from Judah can be a high priest. So Jesus, therefore, according to the old law, can never be a high priest. In order for Jesus to be the high priest, the law has to change. And there's only one person who could change that law. And I'll get to that in just a second. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 13. Hebrews 9 and verse 13. For if the blood of, of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been sanctified, For the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. So now we gain more information. Guess who was speaking on the mountain on Mount Sinai? Jesus. 
He's the one that made the law. He's the only one who could die and bring a new one. And so we serve the risen Savior, our God, as the Bible tells us to. In verse 22, verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we follow, please, Acts 20 and verse 7. Let's begin to wrap this up. We follow uh, what the Bible tells us to, and that is in the New Testament era and age. We no longer follow the old, the old law, the law of Moses. Uh, we follow, as Christians, we follow the new law, the law of Christ, the law that God gave. And we do not come together on Saturday, on a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day, the day is still hallowed. God hallowed it in the days of the patriarchs from the very beginning of time. But it's not to be kept or followed as a Sabbath day in a religious way. We meet on the first day of the week, of every week, because God commanded it. You know, when you go back and you follow the laws of the Old Testament and you follow the law of Moses, do you realize that the law of Moses was given on the first day of the week? Everything about God is about first. First, right? The Sabbath is the last day of the week. And it was for man. Everything about God is about first. We come together on the first day of the week. In Acts 20 and verse 7, the Bible says, And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight, the first day of the week. First Corinthians chapter 16 and the verse um, 1 and verse 2. Now concerning the collection uh, for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week. Let uh, each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection be made when I come. It's all about the first when it comes to God. And then we're going to close in Acts chapter 2. We're going to close in Acts chapter 2. Just as the law of Moses was given on the first day of the week, so also... The law of Christ was given on the first day of the week. In Acts 2 and verse 1, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Seven Sabbaths plus one. Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Some things ensued. The message came from God. The promise of God was fulfilled. The prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled. The apostles began to speak in tongues. Peter stood up with the eleven and said, These men are not drunk, as you suppose. And then he began to preach a sermon. And he started with an Old Testament prophecy from Joel. And he preaches. And he preaches many other prophecies, if you will, talking about David and that, that there was one coming. And he's not speaking of David, but rather speaking of the Christ. And then you get all the way over to near the end of the sermon in verse 38. And there the Bible says, And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from 
this perverse generation. So then those who had believed his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. If you were, well, just notice this. It wasn't the belief that saved them, right? Because it's very clear when you, when you read this, they were pricked to the heart. Pricked to the heart. And it wasn't the repentance that saved them. Because they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is verse 36, right? What shall we do? It wasn't the belief. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the repentance. It wasn't the confession. What was it? Because if you continue reading and you get to verse 38, he says, this is how you're saved, repent and be baptized. And then in verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you and for your children. And then verse 40 says, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved. If it was the belief, he wouldn't say be saved for they are already saved. If it was the repentance, he wouldn't say be saved. They're already saved. Instead, it was the baptism that you follow in the very, very next verse. And those who believe, the Bible says, and they who they were continually devoting themselves uh, uh, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. But before they were able to do that, they had to get in to Christ Jesus. And that's verse 41. The Bible says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? To the church. Pretty simple, right? It's simple when you want it. And so keep preaching, keep teaching, keep evangelizing, continue to try to seek and save the lost. Thank you for your time tonight. The lesson is yours, and prayerfully there are some out there who are ready to surrender to God in the waters of salvation. The opportunity is yours. The day is still here. Thank God for it. And those who need repentance in their hearts, uh, God has afforded another opportunity for us to repent. Uh, Because the day is still here. Praise God. God bless you, each and every one of you.